0: It's so good to be here this morning in God's presence with God's people. Uh, What a wonderful time of worship, Hunter. Thank you, worship team. My name is Michael Talley. I'm the discipleship pastor here. And again, it's just good to open up God's word with you today. I have a distinct memory of walking our church parking lot on a cold, foggy November morning uh, back in early November 2016. I remember the eerie calm, kind of like the aftermath of a hurricane, (laughs) We'd just gone through a very intense election season. Trump versus Clinton, left versus right. A lot of people called it the most important election of our lifetimes. It was certainly one of the most brutal. There was a lot of of reading. I'd read too much, I'd talked too much. I had spent way too much time on social media. I'd processed too many arguments. I'd navigated too many tense relationships and I was exhausted that morning walking the parking lot. I was worn down, so I shut down. I I went into retreat. We got rid of cable, got rid of social media for a little bit, and I stopped following the daily barrage of political news, and and I put my head in the sand. I'm not going to lie. It was really, really nice. (laughs) I enjoyed my retreat from politics for about three and a half years. But here we are again, the next most important election of our lifetimes is upon us, but this time the rhetoric is dialed up even louder, the lines between Us and them, whoever we and they are, seem even thicker. The gravitational pull is very strong and it has sucked me in again. And I would imagine that it's pulled many of you in as well. It's been discouraging, hasn't it? It feels like our world has gone crazy. Like we've all lost our minds a little bit. I'm particularly discouraged this year because it seems like even the church has got into the mudslinging. Like, I'm not necessarily talking about our congregation, but I do think the evangelical world, or at least in America, is hurting right now. A lot of condemnations, a lot of finger pointing between brothers and sisters in Christ. It feels like you either have to pick a side and start yelling, or what a lot of people are doing, and I know my temptation is just to withdraw completely and criticize from the sidelines. That, it feels like we don't have a lot of great options right now, and that's really discouraging. This is a tremendous burden for me right now. I think it's extremely important for the church to be involved in the political process in our country. Our country needs Christians to be actively involved in bringing light and bringing hope. But if we're just going to start slinging mug like the world, we've completely lost our witness and our testimony. And so that's where my burden is today. The church has an opportunity right now as the world gets darker to shine the light of the gospel. It be a brilliant opportunity for us. As our world feels shaky and, and stable, the church has the opportunity to provide stability by the way that we interact with one another. So we have a wonderful opportunity, but in order to do this, we need the grace and the wisdom of Jesus, our Savior. And so this morning, I would like to turn your attention to the book of Proverbs. If your Bible's in front of you, go ahead and open to the book of Proverbs right in the middle of your Bible. Um, you can go wherever you want to. We're going to be all over the place. If you were here at all last summer, Josh and I were able to preach through this book while Scott was on sabbatical, and it absolutely transformed my understanding of this, what I thought was an obscure book of wisdom. It's actually very practical, and it has transformed the way that I view so many things. And as I was thinking about this political season, I feel like this book is so appropriate for us Right now, here are two reasons why I would exhort you to get into the Proverbs over the next six weeks as we build up to the election. First, Proverbs is a political book. It's a political book. You might not think that, but if you remember, this was written by Solomon to his son to help him train to lead the nation, he was training to become king. And this is how this book was used in, in, in the nation of Israel. It was a training guide for young men before they led the nation. And now I realize that the politics of this book or of the nation of Israel are a lot different than our own American democracy. But here's the deal, it's dripping with practical wisdom to help people navigate complex political seasons. And that's what we're in right now. I think you'll, you'll, you'll benefit quite a bit by looking at this book. Second, the wisdom in the Proverbs is embodied. If you have your book open, you just look around whatever page you're on, you'll find a mention of a body part. It's all over the place. Almost every verse has something about the heart or the lips or the hand or the ears or the eyes, like Mr. Potato Head, it's all over the place, right? Now that might not seem like a significant point, And I think I even missed that last summer as I was teaching through this, but I think it's a brilliant point and here's why. The Proverbs are designed to help you live well. Like it's, it's actual good advice. Unlike a lot of the slogans in our world, or we, my wife and I like to drink tea in the evenings and one of our favorite tea companies has like these weird sayings on them. A lot of the wisdom in our world is just very disembodied and it, it's not helpful at all. But the Proverbs are deeply helpful when we come to seasons where we don't really know what to do or how to get through. This gives us practical embodied wisdom, how to use the, the senses that God has given us. Now, it will not necessarily tell you who to vote for on November 3rd, but it will help you get to November 3rd with a lot of sanity, a lot of grace, a lot of wisdom. And I'll just tell you this. As I have poured into this book over the last couple of weeks to prepare for this, I have become way less concerned about who is elected and way more concerned about the church's witness as we get there. I think that's what's on God's mind. Our faithfulness as a church And so we need the wisdom of the Proverbs. And so this morning, I want to simply look at three ways. I'm not going to get to the whole potato head this morning. I had five points, but I had way too much information. So I cut it down to three. As the Proverbs say, where words are many, transgression is not lacking. So I cut it down to three, fortunately. We're going to look at how to use our ears, our mouth, and our heart. And I think this enough will just give us some good wisdom. Let's pray. As we dive into this book, God, I pray that you would open up our ears so that we might hear your word clearly speaking to us. What a gift that we take for granted so often. You've given us your word. Now may we receive it with open ears, open hearts, open eyes, and may we obey it. Lord, let us not be just doers of your word today, but let us, the grace of Jesus, apply this word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start with the ears, okay? The ears are the most passive body part that you have. They can't do anything. They just sit there. Most people can't even move their ears. <laughs> but when we come to the Proverbs, they're one of the most active body parts that we have. They're, they're engaged. Wise people engage their ears. They know how to engage and exercise their ears. Look at Proverbs 5:1. I love this. My son, be attentive to my wisdom incline that's an active verb incline your ear to my understanding literally stretch out your ear to me if you've ever read the bfg it makes me think of the big giant that has these giant floppy ears that lean in when he wants to hear something that's the picture of a wise person in the book of proverbs we're leaning in to listen to words of wisdom i cannot overstate how important the act of listening is in the book of proverbs Wise people listen. They engage their ears. Fools don't do this, by the way. Fools get enough information and th- just to make them dangerous, and then they plug their ears. And from there on, they just use their mouth over and over. They don't listen. This is a major problem in our world right now, and I believe it's one of the reasons why our world feels like it's going crazy. We need to learn how to listen. Now there's way too much information. I think you'll value and benefit from digging into this yourself. But let me try to summarize the Proverbs teaching on listening in two points. First, wise people listen to a variety of voices. Wise people listen to a variety of voices. Again, it's not like our world has stopped listening to any voices, we produce more content than ever in the form of podcasts, in the form of um, YouTube channels and entire news networks. The problem is, is we're only listening to voices that we want to hear. We have more information than ever. You can go throughout your day without like with getting new information literally every minute of the day. So we're listening a lot, but the problem is, is we're only listening from people in our own camp, stuff we wanna hear. We crank up the volume so loud in our own camp and reinforce our ideas that we don't even really care to listen to anybody else. They're not just the other side. They're wrong. They're evil. They're misguided. That's how our world has kind of pitted us. And so one of the reasons why we don't listen. But the book of Proverbs encourages us to listen to a variety of people. Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Now, if you're right in your own eyes, do you have any need to listen No, you've got it figured out. That's the way that a fool does. I don't need to listen to you because I got it all figured out. It rejects humility. But look at this, but the wise man listens to advice. Presumably words that hurt. That's what a wise person does. Second, Proverbs 24, six. And the first, uh, let's read 24, six. Surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. If you want to win a war, you need to entertain every strategy available to you. When I did the first service in my notes here, I have twelve six. it's actually 24, six. And Claire Kimmel came up and corrected me. Apparently you need many advisors to create a PowerPoint. <laughs> you need many advisors to win a war. The book of Proverbs says, Proverbs 18, 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Has that ever happened to you? You confidently state an opinion and then someone gives you the other side of the story and you're humbled. That happens and that's what wise people do. Solomon wanted his son how to listen to a variety of sources. Remember, he's training his, throne to take, his son to take the throne and as king, he would have to make complex decisions and lead the nation through really difficult seasons. He wouldn't be able to do that if he's only listening to one or two sources. In fact, actually his son did that he closed off the wisdom to the elders and only listened to a people in a small camp and it was destruction for the nation. He wanted his son to listen to a variety of voices. I just read a biography on Abraham Lincoln and he did this exceptionally well. When Lincoln was elected president, he, he did so very surprisingly. Nobody uh, suspected Lincoln to be elected. But when he was elected, he immediately surrounded himself with the people that he had just beaten in the primary election. These men had a variety of different opinions and views, but he was entering into a complex political season where they were literally entering into war. And in order to wage that war and to go successfully, he would need to hear different opinions. And that's exactly what he did. That was not an easy move for him, but it was a brilliant move. And it made him a much more effective leader. We need to open our ears to a variety of opinions. Let me ask some hard questions if I can. When is the last time you had lunch or coffee with someone who drove up to that appointment with a different color bumper sticker? (laughs) Do you even have friends from a different, across the political aisle that you could invite to lunch? When is the last time you read a thoughtful book or listened to a podcast from someone in a different camp, a different political camp than you? Now, I realize those are intimidating or even threatening questions, but they don't need to be. The goal of listening to other people is not to get you to change your mind. It's not to get you to change your mind necessarily. The goal of listening to other people is to broaden your mind and to make you more humble and mature and wise. That's what listening does. It develops humility and that's what our world needs right now. How are we ever gonna evangelize if we can't listen to people that, come, that are coming from a different perspective? And so we need to learn how to listen to other people. The most important reason we need to listen to other people is because this is the behavior that Jesus modeled for us. The very fact that Jesus took on flesh, the Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us is proof that God is willing to be in the presence of his enemy. And he modeled this repeatedly through his life. He always crossed boundaries and made people uncomfortable, made some people really angry at him for doing that. He sat down and had a long conversation with a woman, with a Samaritan woman, completely unacceptable in those days. But he also talked to a rich young ruler, a religious man. He dined with sinners. And then in Matthew chapter 10, I love this point, when he called together his 12 disciples. Matthew is the one that really emphasizes this point. He called together Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Think about that. Until so the point when they met Jesus, Simon had given his life to oppose the Roman government. Matthew had given his life to sell out to the Roman government. And now Jesus brought them into his inner ring and made them sit down around a campfire. <laughs> Don't you know that Jesus loved to watch them wrestle over the campfire and work out their differences and learn to love one another? If that relationship was gonna work, they needed to be bound together by something bigger than the government, and they had that in Jesus. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, we can, we can listen to one another's different opinions politically in this season. We need to open up our ears and listen to one another because we worship someone better and bigger than the government, and that is Jesus. The Proverbs teach us to listen to a variety of voices. But here's the second feature of listening in the Proverbs. Wise people know how to rank the various voices that come in. Not every voice is neutral. Wise people assign different values to different voices, just like a kid needs to weigh the voice of their parents way more highly than the voice of their friends. Wise people need to learn how to rank the voices that are coming in. I think this is the point of Proverbs 9. There are two ladies in Proverbs 9 that are calling with the same exact appeal. Come eat with me. But one of them comes from Lady Wisdom and one of them comes from Dame Folly. One feast will lead to your joy. The other will lead to your death. There's a lot of voices coming at you right now. You need to know who to listen to and to rank the various voices. I recently came across a a tool from Brett McCracken. You might recognize him. He's one of the editors at the Gospel Coalition. He's releasing a book next year. I think it'll be a good book called The Wisdom Pyramid. Now, if you've ever remember the food pyramid from elementary school, where you, you eat the proteins and the breads and the, all that, and you lead up to the sugars and the fats, it'll help you grasp his point. To have a healthy diet and to grow in wisdom, you need to make sure that you prioritize the voices that are coming into your life. And so this is a helpful tool. If you get the order out of whack, by the way, you're gonna get sick. And, and maybe that's what's happened to our society right now. We're not eating a balanced diet of wisdom. The first level, the word of God, Proverbs 28, 9. This is even affirmed in the Proverbs. If one turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs thirteen thirteen. whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Don't turn the volume down of the Word of God in your life. You can do this maybe explicitly back away from it, or maybe you can just be tempted away from it with other voices. But the Proverbs are clear it is a bad move for you to silence the Word of God in your life. It's very simple. You will not grow in wisdom if you are not, if you're neglecting the Word of God. You can't grow in wisdom if you're neglecting the Word of God. I bet most of us in this room have really good intentions. To read the Bible. We want to read the Bible. We know that it's good for us. We do better when we're in the word, but we get distracted. And especially in a season right now where there's news coming in every two minutes. I get it. I understand the struggle. It is much easier to scroll through Facebook than it is to scroll through First Timothy when you're drinking your coffee and eating your breakfast in the morning. It's way more like juicy to read the political news that's coming in. But listen, if we're going to offer the world any hope, we have to be grounded in the truth of God's word. And so let me ask it very specifically. Do you have a specific plan to read the Bible over the next six weeks? Maybe it's just your normal Bible reading plan. I I wouldn't leave it to chance though. If you don't have a plan right now, don't wait till January 1st, devise a plan. This is a crucial time for me to be in God's word. Don't leave it to chance. Make a plan and stick with it. The second voice that you need to listen to if you wanna grow in wisdom is the church. If you wanna develop wisdom, be around God's people. It's a grace that God gives us, community where we can listen to one another and grow in wisdom. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Honest question. I wonder if this particular election season feels so strained and difficult because most of us have lived in partial isolation for most of the year. I do think that impacts us. I saw a tweet from a pastor this summer that might help illustrate this in response to one of the political controversies that brewed up this summer. Everybody was chiming in, giving their opinion. This pastor said, I don't feel like I have much to offer right now. I haven't been able to worship with my church in months, and I feel like my wisdom is lacking. I thought that was profound and and, and very self aware We need the wisdom of the church. You can't isolate yourself and grow in wisdom. We need people, God's people. When we walk with the wise, then we become wise. The third level is nature. And I love that he puts this in there. The Bible constantly urges us to get outside. You know what Solomon teaches his son to do to develop wisdom? Go look at the ant. (laughs) Literally, if you can gain more wisdom by looking at the ant than reading Twitter. Jesus says, look at the birds, the air, the flowers of the field. There is more wisdom in your backyard than there is on your TV. And so we are entering the most beautiful season of the year. I would encourage you to get outside. If you're feeling weighed down by the political news, turn your phone off and get outside. We've mentioned it a couple times, that parking lot out there is the best in the world. I've logged a couple hundred miles out there. I've had a lot of spiritual breakthroughs. It's my watchtower, as Josh mentioned last week. And if you wanna come, I'll walk a couple laps with you. Get outside and be with the Lord and be in nature. Now, once you get to the top of the pyramid, you really need to start limiting your diet. There's fine stuff up here, but if you really feast on that top end of the pyramid, um, you're gonna get sick. The media up here is sugary, it's sweet, it includes the internet, cable news, social media, and again, just like the food in the pyramid, if you only eat stuff at the top end, you're going to feel miserable, the sugars, the fats, but I think a lot of us are just addicted to the sound bites, the hot takes, can you believe he said this, can you believe they said this, that's what we're addicted to right now, and it's enraging us, listen to Proverbs 14, 7. The Proverbs warn us and admonish us to open up our ears to a variety of sources, but then there's this. Leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. I do believe there's a time for us to check the news and to scroll through Twitter and see what's up, but only after we have been grounded in God's word and with God's people. And there are some voices in your life, and maybe you know who they are, that you just need to turn off. If you want to gain and grow grow in wisdom, maybe just turn them off for this season. This is a brief summary on the Proverbs teaching on the ears. Let's move to the mouth. So we've digested a lot. We've brought in a lot of wisdom. The next step is to get it out as quickly as we can, right? (laughs) Actually, no. When we come to the mouth, we see the exact opposite. The tongue is a very powerful and exercised organ in our body. And the Proverbs say, time out, stop using it. (laughs) One of the best ways that we can use the mouth is to not use it much. And here's why. Your words are extremely powerful. Do you know that? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, right. Your words can kill. And you know that to be true if you've ever uttered or had words directed at you. Proverbs says the same. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 11.9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. And there is a lot of that going on right now. Maybe to their face, maybe behind their back, but there's a lot of destruction, needless destruction happening right now because we can't control our tongue. The Proverbs also say that the person that just utters random, careless comments is like a person with a sword in his hand, just slashing at will, slashing at random. There's a lot of slashing happening in our world right now and a lot of hurting people as a result of that. And so the most important way that we can use our words over the next six weeks is to not talk much. For real, that's the the Proverbs teaching on wisdom. Learn how to restrain your tongue. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. It is a sign of wisdom that you hold back. Proverbs 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, a very provocative image here for you. So what do you do? So quit before the quarrel breaks out. It's like letting a water out of a dam and you know you've been there before. This happens close at home too, in the living room among family members. A political conversation starts going up and it's like at that point, the letting out of water. What does the Proverbs teach you to do? Stop. Do you really wanna open up that dam and let that flood of destruction come upon you and your family? Just stop talking. You don't want to see them walk out of that room in anger and in frustration. I wonder how much needless destruction would be prevented among us in the church if we just learned to stop. Proverbs 17, 28. I love this one. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lip, he is deemed intelligent. There's very little hope for the fool in the Proverbs, but if the fool can just stop talking, he's actually considered wise. This is very true, and I was thinking about this in light of our political moment. I want you to, to for a second, envision someone on the other political side, someone that is very vocal about it, that lets you know who they're gonna vote for and how they feel about the political whatever. You have them in your head, maybe a neighbor, an uncle, a talk show host. You would most likely consider that person a fool because of their views and their opinions and the way that they get it out. But what would happen to that person in your thinking? Without changing a single view, they just simply turned on the volume. You met them in the sidewalk and instead of engaging, they just said, yeah, I see your point, it's a good example. And they just walk on. That person, that fool, would suddenly seem a lot wiser, wouldn't they? Proverbs trains us to hold our tongue because words are so powerful. But listen, we live in a society that trains us to do the exact opposite. Every time I log on to Facebook, I am confronted with that dangerous question. What's on your mind, Michael? I'll tell you what's on my mind. You really wanna know, here we go. I'll tell you. It lures the words out of us. Now, don't you think this is a deliberate strategy of our enemy? If our words are so powerful and our words have death and life in them and it's like sword thrust, don't you think our enemy would want us to talk and to gossip and to spread as much stuff as we possibly can all the time? Some of us feel like it is our duty to express every opinion that crosses our minds. You don't have to. We need to develop wisdom. Here's a practical example that I think maybe just give you just a little bit of wisdom in this and and actually help you exhibit some self-control. If you don't mind, I'm gonna double dip into an Abraham Lincoln example. I love how he processed so much of this stuff. This actually has been very helpful to me. When they opened up the Lincoln Papers in 1947, scholars were surprised to find a stack of letters that they didn't know Lincoln had written. In fact, nobody had known Lincoln had written these letters. They were angry, blistering letters actually addressed to the cabinet members that he had selected to be on his team, the people with different opinions. When Lincoln would get frustrated at a meeting, he would keep his calm and then go to his office when the meeting was over and write out a blistering, angry letter and get it all out. But then he put it at the bottom, never signed, never sent. He folded it away and stashed it. I think that is Brilliant. In fact, if if you've got a personal conflict right now, I I would encourage you to do that. But more broadly, if you have a hard time holding your tongue, especially when it comes to social media, try that. Take your Facebook browser, throw it on another screen, pull up a Word document and write your Facebook post and get everything out. Make it long, make it nasty, just get it all out there and then file it away in a folder called stuff. I'm really glad I never posted here's a couple of things that'll happen. You're going to sleep really good because you feel like I got it all out. But then you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to feel really good still because I'm so thankful I didn't say that. <laughs> That's what happens. That's just a good practical way. When we walk with the spirit, he produces in us the fruit of self-control and we need that right now, church. And so may we hold our tongue. But when we do speak, and there is a time for us to speak, may we produce the fruit of gentleness and kindness. Gentle words are undervalued in a society that screams a lot. Let me say that again. Gentle words are undervalued in a society that screams a lot, but the Bible constantly shows us the power of a gentle word. Jesus showed us the power of a gentle word. He said about himself, I'm gentle. I am lowly. There is great power in a soft word, Proverbs 15, one, a soft word, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And another spot, it says that a soft word can break a bone. Do you think about your soft words having that much power? Think about it. When somebody comes at you screaming with a lot of wrath, most of us go one or two ways. We fight or we flight. We either scream louder or we hide behind a tree somewhere and get away from that as quick as possible. But the Bible would admonish us to to return a soft answer. It says that it turns away wrath. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I'm sure that James was meditating in the Proverbs when he wrote chapter 3, speaking of the power of the tongue. But the wisdom, verse 17, from above is first pure. Look at these qualities. Peaceable. Are these what your words are like? Gentle. Open to reason full of mercy, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. And look at what happens when you sow these words into people's life, what our world desperately needs right now. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. As you plant these kind and gentle words in your children and in your spouse and in your colleagues and in the people that you share a cubicle with and you, you, share, you sow these, a harvest of righteousness reaps, is reaped out of that. Soft and gentle words have way more power than you realize. And so over these next six weeks, may the church be known as a, as a body that is just planting soft and gentle and kind words everywhere we go. We've addressed the ears, we've addressed the mouth. I could go around the rest of the potato head, looking at our eyes, feet, our hands, and our minds, but you're gonna have to explore those on your own. We're out of time. I want to end our message by going to the heart of wisdom, which is the heart itself. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance. What do you do with all vigilance? What does that stir up in your mind? What do you give everything that you have to? The Bible says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. Church, we must guard our hearts with everything we have. There is a war right now for your heart. Every political ad is designed to terrify you. Every talk show is designed to enrage you. That is their specific purpose is to get you upset. And here's why. Anxiety and anger are profitable. They keep you coming back for more. What's the newest information? What's the latest News. After the 9-11 attacks, we did not turn off our television for a week, and I bet you didn't either. I bet there's some TVs out there that have still not turned off since that. That's where the little scroll ticker came across the bottom, if you remember that. that's on every news station right now. More information, more information, more information. And it really weighs your heart down. If you just tune into that over and over and over, fear sells, and so they target your fragile heart with every story. And then they go to the commercial break and those commercials target your fragile heart with every story. Church, do not let the fearful rhetoric of this election take root in your heart. That is not from the Lord. Do not be tempted by the soothing voices of the false teachers and the false saviors out there who will offer you a false shelter. Temporary housing at best it will not last don't get sucked in proverbs 10:25 and this is a theme really that is in every chapter the wicked man has no future they have no hope when the tempest passes proverbs 10:25 the wicked man is no more the righteous are still standing Those who run to the Lord. Proverbs 18 says that the powerful, the rich people live in fortified cities. They have it all made. And you know this people that are trusting in their wealth, trusting in their power, they're on the right side of the alignment, the political aisle, they're they're powerful. They live in these built up cities, but the Proverbs tell us that it only exists in their heads. They come crumbling down. How many times do you have to see a house fall to realize that there is no lasting shelter in their houses? But the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. The Lord is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Run to Jesus. You're looking for practical steps. How do you guard your heart with all vigilance? Run to Jesus. First thing in the morning, all day long, go to Jesus. Be in constant prayer. He is your strong tower and He is in control. And guess what? He's not biting his fingernails about this election coming up. Did you hear that? He's not worried. He's not. Proverbs 21.1, this is worthy of your memory, says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. I want you to hear that. It does not matter who gets elected. Their heart will still be sitting in the hand of God like a stream of a river. And God will turn it however he wants to. And he does this. He turns the hearts of leaders. And that's why we pray for leaders this morning. I'm so thankful for that prayer. But Paul, I can promise you this, if, especially if your, your heart is gripped and there's been fear that has taken root in your life, I can promise you this. Our nation will never elect a president that God says, no, 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 I didn't want, yeah, I wanted the other person. That's never gonna happen. Do you believe that? Our Congress will never pass a bill or a piece of legislation that will frustrate God's plan of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. He's not gonna have to rethink the strategy. He's got it in control. The highest court in our land will never thwart the justice of God. Do you understand that? We love this perspective from Blaise Pascal in the 17th century. How delightful it is to behold with the eye of faith, Darius, Cyrus, Alexander, the Romans, Pompey, and Herod, all conspiring without knowing it to promote the glory of the gospel. God's hand is all over history and God's hand is all over this election. And so if we're gonna shine the light of the gospel into a dark and dying world over the next six weeks, we need to expand our vision beyond November 3rd. History is marching to the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. He shall reign forever and ever and ever. He sits on an eternal throne and he's sitting on that throne right now. I was thinking about that in our worship time, about how God's reign is eternal and forever and yet he is such a kind and good God. He is a benevolent king and he is reigning and he loves us and he cares for you. He cares a lot more about your heart than all the strategies out there to get you to buy into fear. We have nothing to fear when we run to Jesus. And so I began this message acknowledging that a lot of Christians, myself included, can feel discouraged. We look around and we have nowhere to hope. We have nowhere to go. We can't get into the political process without getting covered in, much. no, 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 no. We have reason to hope everywhere we look. We look to the future and we see Jesus reigning on his throne forever and ever. We look around right now and we see God at work in the lives of the people in our church, producing self-control, producing gentleness, producing kindness, opening up our ears and allowing us to sit with people who disagree with us and to kindly and humbly listen to them. If Matthew and Simon could figure it out, we can figure it out. We have reason to hope because God is at work and among us, helping us listen. And then we look to the past and we remember the perfect and the beautiful life of Jesus, our Savior, who every day lived in light of God's grace and mercy. He lived in grace and wisdom and he looked at people in the eye and he listened to people and he cared for people and he taught us how to live. And so may we live the next six weeks in remembrance of Christ, everything that we do reflecting him and his glory. He'll be with us.